Hey guys, you may have noticed in the video sermon that you just watched this unusual photo behind me in the background. I want to tell you just a little bit about that image. And so I'm going to flip the camera around so that you can take a closer look. This image is um, a, a copy of a painting by Raphael of the transfigured Christ. You can read about this in Luke chapter 9. Um, what you see is two parts of that, uh, that chapter. First, you see Jesus at the top with Elijah and Moses joining him atop the mountain where Jesus is transfigured into this bright image of, of light. Um, you see Peter, James, and John who join him on top of the mountain who are uh, falling down in front of this glorious sight. And then down towards the bottom of the image, um, you probably see my iPad wiggling there in the reflection, but you can also see um, a lot of chaos going on. That's the second part of the chapter. You see everyone sort of pointing to this boy on the right side at the bottom of uh, this painting. Uh, he has uh, a, de a demon, and so Jesus comes down after this moment of transfiguration, casts the demon out, and they all ask him, how did you do this? We couldn't do it. And Jesus says, this kind can only be cast out by prayer. Some translations say prayer and fasting. Um, Raphael sort of depicted two parts of the creation. Heaven at the top, which is, uh, you know, you see Jesus there as the prominent figure. The bottom is chaotic. It's darker. It's an image of the world. It's an image of uh, the disorientation we feel in the chaotic uh, world that we now experience. Um, but everything in the image kind of points up towards Jesus. You see two hands being lifted up from the bottom towards the top that sort of channels your vision. Um, also, the light from the boy is obviously a reflection from the light of Jesus. So Jesus is the one uh, who gives us the kind of peace and hope that we can um, experience because he has entered the chaos and he has also uh, ascended to the Father and promises to come again. So I hope this image maybe captures your imagination and uh, might also call you in the week ahead to um, cast your eyes upon Jesus, uh, the author and perfecter of our faith and the one who um, reorients us to the power of God in the midst of suffering. Bless you all. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. So most of life requires uh, some kind of a rhythm. Think about it for a minute. Your, uh, your heart is beating to a rhythm right now inside your chest. Um, your breathing follows a rhythm, uh, a pattern. Our lives are built on familiar rhythms, sleeping and waking, eating and drinking, Resting and working, loving and playing. I'm assuming that sometime in the last three weeks, your life has probably uh, fallen out of its typical rhythms. And that, in turn, has probably left you just a little bit disoriented. I remember a teacher of mine telling a story of a nomadic people group whose practice it was to travel from place to place erecting a pole in, in whatever location they chose to stop and to rest. Uh, this pole in their imagination was the thing that both connected heaven and earth, 
and also provided space to live a life of meaning. And one day this, this pole fell, which caused such disorientation among the people that they simply laid it down on the ground where they were, awaiting the imminent crashing of the stars to earth. Maybe you have felt a similar sense of disorientation while following a stay-at-home order in the last week. Maybe this season of isolation and the loss of your familiar rhythms has left you in a state of kind of purposelessness. And most of what you found yourself doing, um, well, is lying down and watching the stars on Netflix and waiting for the crash. The good news is that for Christians, the pole that connects heaven and earth is the cross. And it has not fallen over. What happened upon the cross is a completed work. So there is uh, still yet an order to the world. And while the dissonance of our time is uncomfortable, I don't want you guys to give up on the God who has promised uh, to resolve these strange notes into a beautiful harmony. Again, it is the cross of Jesus that holds the world together. And it is the dissonance of that torturous cross that is eventually resolved into the harmony of an empty tomb and a risen Lord and a new kingdom. So this morning, what I'd like to do is we're going to take just a moment and think about Palm or Passion Sunday. Because now is the perfect time to recognize the strangeness of what the church remembers on this day. Today is the day in the church's yearly rhythm when we remember Jesus' grand and celebratory entrance into Jerusalem. But it is also the day when we remember his trial, execution, and death. Grand celebratory entrance trial, crucifixion, and death. Are, are you beginning to catch the glimpse of the dissonance in Jesus' own life? Uh, so maybe he has something to teach us about how to live in the midst of disorientation. Maybe Jesus is the one who can show us how to live by faith, in joy, and in suffering. Uh, so picture with me the scene. Um, Jesus enters the gates of Jerusalem like a king. Earlier in the day, of course, his disciples had commandeered a donkey from a nearby villager and draped their cloaks upon its back and brought the humble creature to Jesus. And Jesus climbed atop the animal, feet nearly dragging the ground, and proceeded towards the city of David. And as he entered the city, the disciples went before him, announcing the coming kingdom of our father David. And others joined the chorus. Indeed, people began pouring out of their homes, filling the streets with shouts of acclamation. They ran forward, placing palm branches upon the ground so that this beast carrying the king would not have to trot upon the bare road. Um, others laid down their clothes and their outer garments in order to honor this great prophet whom many had come to believe would restore Israel returning God's people to a place of worldly prominence and recognition in governance. 
But see, I, I think that if you look just a little bit deeper, you'll begin to see some things that just don't fit in this story. Some things that are still just a little bit disorienting. First, if you're reading through the Gospel of Mark, you will have noticed that just before entering Jerusalem, Jesus had actually foretold his death. So why the triumphant entry? Why do the crowds adore him like this? The very crowds who in a matter of days will be screaming, crucify him, rather than Hosanna. Second, how silly it looked for this regal, kingly figure to enter, feet dragging upon a donkey. You know, there's some symbolism at play here. A king during a time of war was known to parade around on a great war horse, but a king in a time of peace in the ancient world would often travel upon a donkey, um, indicating the gift of peace. And Jesus, the man who is crucified days later, enters peacefully. Resolve to turn the other cheek. Resolve to pray for enemies rather than to curse them. And finally, um, there's the odd bit about the cloaks, the clothes. Upon this grand entrance into Jerusalem, people eagerly cast their clothes before Jesus, symbolizing a laying down of their own lives and hopes and dreams before this one who comes in peace. In a matter of days, however, Jesus' own garments will be ripped from his body so that he may hang lifeless on an instrument of death, his clothes haggled over by a handful of foot soldiers. If you dare look beyond the immediate celebration of the crowds on Palm Sunday, the dissonance grows. And it only grows throughout the whole of that week, which is this coming week, which is called Passion Week. Basic patterns are upended in the last week of Jesus' life. A Roman governor stands in judgment over God incarnate. A human judge decided to unmake or kill the one who made him in the first place. A, a peaceful man, Jesus, is sentenced to a violent death. Uh, Jesus has a sentence written above his head that indicates that he is, in fact, the king of the Jews. It's ironic because... The trumped-up charge against him is actually true. Upon his death, Jesus, the one who is eternally begotten of the Father and lives in eternal communion with the Father by the Spirit, cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, who came to join us, to climb into the same boat with us human beings, is unceremoniously executed and dismissed by the very ones who have the most need of him. It is a series of events which grow stranger and stranger, even to the point of madness, especially for those disciples who expected such a different outcome. The dissonance grows, the disorientation escalates. Jesus breathes his last. The light of the world goes out. Darkness falls upon the face of the earth. The curtain in the temple is torn in two and the ground shakes. This is not how it's supposed to be, is it? God comes, the sustainer, creator, the sustainer, the lover of our souls, 
and we kill them. It's not how it's supposed to be. Maybe you felt the weight of those words in the last week. This is not how it's supposed to be. Or maybe you felt the weight of those words at other moments of your life. You know, pastors tend to spend a fair amount of time with folks whose life rhythms have been interrupted, whose ears are attuned to the dissonance of their own experience, which grows increasingly disoriented. Um, think with me, a middle-aged wife comes home to find her husband on the floor clutching his chest. I, I think it's a heart attack, he groans. It is not supposed to be like this. An employee, millions of them just this past week, gets called to the manager's office receives a handshake and a shrug of the shoulders and a ticket home, unemployed. What are we going to do? It's not supposed to be like this. Uh, young parents like me begin to notice that something's kind of off with one of their kids. Something's not quite right. An EEG later reveals seizures, lots of them. It is not supposed to be like this. Healthy young adult comes down with the coronavirus. It grows worse. He ends up in intensive care. It is not supposed to be like this. We're disoriented. Something is off. Something is not right. What do we do then with this disorienting time? What can you do with these moments of our lives when the rhythms we had hoped would hold us and ground us and help us to live with purpose become upended? What happens when the American illusion of progress and the triumph of science and wealth reveal themselves to be exactly that, illusions? What do we do when we come face to face with suffering? The suffering of the world. Do we simply lay down and wait for the world to end and for the stars to fall? Since our health and relationships and work and prosperous future are gone, since our rhythms can't hold us or distract us anymore, should we just lay down and stare up at the sky and wait for the stars to fall? A, a real disaster. Or could we look to Jesus, who is all too familiar with dissonance because he lived it. He lived it as he took the journey from triumphal entry to Golgotha Cross some 2,000 years ago. He lived that dissonance as he, the eternal word of the Father, witnessed humanity turn away from the God who made them for a life of self-giving love so that they could anoint themselves the final arbiters of their self-obsessed destiny. It wasn't supposed to be like this, Jesus said. Jesus lived the dissonance as he came healing and loving and reconciling and blessing only to receive a verdict of guilty and a torturous death. Jesus knows the strangeness that you feel. And he entered that strangeness going all the way to the cross so that you could be delivered from it so that you could experience a life with God that makes you say, oh yeah, this is exactly how it's supposed to be. A life with God, regardless of circumstance, because you know that because of the cross, because of Jesus who holds 
heaven and earth together, you can also say like the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 38 and 39. Here's our scripture reading. So you can say like him and like all those who have followed after him, that I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This week, stay alert to the strangeness of this time. This time between Palm Sunday and Passion Week. This time between Palm Sunday and Good Friday. Allow your own upended rhythms during this time to alert you to the fact that things are not as they ought to be in the world around us, but especially in your own heart, my own heart, and allow that disorienting observation to lead you to the one who entered the world, which was lying hopeless and scattered out upon the ground, and was able to unite it to heaven by way of a cross. And this way you'll begin to discover that space, that space that his cross begins to open up for you, a life of true meaning. As you two join in on the work of setting things right, of building the kingdom, and of patiently and actively waiting upon that day when the king returns again. And songs of Hosanna echo throughout the cosmos. And the dissonance, which grew so loud, finally resolves into a symphony of praise. In the name of the Father and the Son, of the Holy Spirit.